Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, I've been delirious with the prospect of this conversation all week. If you haven't heard of Bob Hoffman, a former US ad agency CEO who turned feral after he retired in 2013 and started a humble blog, The Ad Contrarian, then you really do need to get a life and get out of your bubble. Mark Ritson calls him one of our truly great marketing iconoclasts. Professor Byron Sharp says he's jealous of Bob. I wish I was brave enough to be this rude. And IDCOM CEO Tom Denford says Bob Hoffman is possibly going to be seen as the most influential person of the decade when it comes to media. And I certainly hope so. Bob has written four books, most of them aimed at sidestepping 70% of, and I quote, the bullshit that sits inside business books, at least. Uh, Bad Men was one of my favourites because it tackles head-on the issue of surveillance marketing and how carried away the advertising media and marketing industries have become with it. Danger, I suspect. But his latest book is Advertising for Skeptics. It's another cracker with acidic wit, quips and turns of phrase that is surprising for an American and leaves me wishing I could write that stuff. Bob Hoffman, a big welcome. We're going to talk, uh, we're going to talk about delusions and, and lost decade for advertising and media, why Adland and marketing is not sceptical enough, the future and futility of industry conferences, and even why marketing and advertising is now moving from silly to dangerous. And speaking of silly and dangerous, Bob, tell us first what the hell is happening to America. America's becoming silly and dangerous. It's, uh, it's very unpleasant here now. It's very hard to find common ground between liberal and conservative people. There's very little that we can agree on anymore here. And it feels like a society that's not doing well at all. And what worries me is that, you know, in the history of the world, there's no government that's ever survived. Sooner or later, they all get overthrown and replaced. You know, I'm hoping this isn't the uh, the beginning of something like that here, because it it really does seem very unpleasant. So you're talking more there about the empire that is America as opposed to the regime of the president of Donald Trump at the moment then? Right. I'm talking about not, not Trump specifically, but our type of government, the, 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 you know, the, the government that we've had for 200 and some odd years. Yeah. And what about the industry, Bob? Have you had any conversations around this with agency people, media people, tech people, or what are they saying and seeing and fearing perhaps? Those who I have spoken with are worried. They're worried about their jobs. They're worried about having, you know, people at the higher levels are worried about having to let people go. I, you know, I spoke to the CEO of an agency a few days ago, and he said, the way we're measuring our success is we have not had to let anyone go yet. And that's our objective, is to not let anyone go. And if we can do that, we will be successful. Now, this is obviously a very upstanding person. He's not typical, I think, of, of most agencies, particularly in the, in the holding company world. But, um, you know, it, it, it's uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if by the time this all is over, 30 percent of the people in the industry lose their jobs. 
It's very frightening. Right. We saw that forecast from Forrester with right or wrong, talking about 50,000 jobs out of the US agencies and 100,000 globally out of the holding companies. So yeah, there's, a bit to, there's a bit to cover there. But let's get to your, your new book and the themes in your new book, Bob, um, Advertising for Skeptics. Uh, one of your first chapters is, is, is about delusions in advertising and the lost decade. You talk in there about advertising that has gotten, the ad- advertising industry has gotten worse, the advertising product has gotten worse, not better in the last decade, despite lots of promises. Why do you hold that worldview? Well, you know, the, the decade that we just went through was supposed to be something special. We expected it to be very fruitful and productive. We had all kinds of new tools and amazing new media that we never had before, and we expected a lot. Um, you know, our ability to personalize advertising and to reach consumers one-to-one was just sure to make advertising more relevant and more timely and more likable. And it all turned out to be bullshit. Um, the, 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 uh, the truth is that advertising has gotten far worse, that consumers are far less happy with advertising. In fact, they hold us in lower regard than ever before, according to one study that I saw. And advertising has gotten a lot worse rather than better. Talk, you know, you talk with anyone in the marketing world, in the advertising world, and, you know, 98% of them will agree that advertising has gotten worse. You know, our, our clients are unhappy with us. Marketers, the, the Association of National Advertisers here in the States, circulated a report a couple of years ago saying that corruption is pervasive in the ad industry. You know, regulators and governments are all over us. They want to know what we're doing with data, whether we're collecting it illegally, selling it illegally, using it illegally. And billions of dollars are being stolen from marketers who are, you know, asleep at the wheel are being stolen by ad fraud. Tens of billions of dollars every year are being stolen. The the advertising and marketing world, I think, is lost in space right now. I, I think we're delusional in what we've been doing. And I think we need to uh, get back to reality and uh, s- start seeing the, the world as it really is, not as we'd like it to be. How do we get there, Bob? And I think you talk about not having enough, there's not enough skepticism in the industry, uh, whether it be ad, ad agencies or marketers, uh, f- basically too much sort of embracement of, of new things, uh, different things without, without any rigor. Yeah, we have a lot of people in the advertising and marketing business who frankly don't know what the hell they're doing advertising people used to be the most skeptical people in the world. I mean, if you worked in an ad agency and you said, A, you know, there are 10 people jumping on you and then they'd say, prove A, show me A, you know. And now all of a sudden, the, 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 uh, the tech people and the digital people came riding into town with a load of baloney and we just pulled up our skirts and said, yeah, whatever. I don't know what happened to the skepticism in the business. We've bought all this without saying, prove it. How many billions of dollars are being spent every year based on someone's opinion without anything to show us that would convince at least me that they know what they're doing? 
Now, you're very vocal, Bob, and, and uh, a lot of people in the game probably can't be as, as, as sharp as you are, but you, you think that privately and quietly there's quite a lot of people that agree with you can't necessarily endorse your views, but, but what are those conversations you have with people? How does that go when they, they pull you aside and go, wow, you're amazing? Yeah, you know, it's so, it's so funny because, you know, if I'll speak at a conference and then, uh, you know, back at the, at the bar later that evening, people will come up to, oh, man, I wish I could say what I, I wish I could say what you're saying. I wish, you know, oh, you, you got to keep doing this. And I understand it. They all have jobs. They, 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 they can't be, you know, pricks like me. I can say whatever I want. I don't care. I don't have a job. And I hope I'm representing the point of view of a lot of people who do have jobs but don't have the freedom to say what's really on their mind. I, you know, particularly people who've worked in the, on the, in the digital. I, I get such stories from people who work in the digital world about, about the phony things they're doing, the, the way they sell stuff to clients that's bullshit. And, you know, I, I can't publish them because I have to protect them. But I hear the stories. Well, one of the things you say, though, uh, in, in your new book is that the advertising industry is not sceptical enough. It doesn't challenge enough. It used to be. I think you've sort of, you were in the game for a long time. What happened there? A whole lot of people came into the agency business in, uh, in the past 15 years or so who came in naively, who were taught things in school that were not really proven over the years and i and i think that the um that the naivete is starting to wear off a little i'm hoping it is uh you know i i go to a lot of conferences and i listen to i listen to people talk at conferences and i i you know i want to kill myself i there's so much bullshit and um, and nobody challenges it. <laughs> N- nobody cha- even when I talk. You know, when I talk, I, I'm, I'm fairly controversial in my talks. I've noticed. Yeah, people don't challenge me. I don't understand why. If I were sitting in the audience listening to me, I would challenge some of the things I say. But they don't. Is it cultural? Or is it fear? Are people afraid to? I, I I don't understand it, and uh, it's hard for me to explain it. Well, it's interesting in this market uh, in Australia, Bob, because we would uh, not necessarily skeptical, but we would, uh, in fact, plenty of uh, people from overseas have might have noted that Australia is an incredibly negative market in terms of the industry having a crack at, at things. But it's usually playing the person; it's usually the individual or the company, not the concepts that drive the whole industry. And there's very little robust discussion around some of the the, the sacred cows. But uh, other than the people or company X, it's a it's a and it's quite a conundrum uh, in Australia about how we got there. This uh, skepticism that you talk about, a couple of good examples I think you cite in your book. Um, even with retrospect, the industry doesn't necessarily atone for its mistakes. Um, you'd cite a, a Harvard Business Review study of what, eight, nine years ago, 2011-12, I think, about quantifying the value of likes. Yeah, the, the, there, there was like a year and a half where everyone wanted to know what is the value of a like, and they were trying to put numbers on it. And there was a Harvard Business Review article with uh, this uh, genius came up with a formula with it's complete bullshit. The value of a like we know now, it's zero. 
But we don't go back and challenge these people. We don't go back and say, look what you wrote here, Harvard Business Review. When are you going to cop to the fact that you're publishing bullshit? Right. And you talk about the, even in these conferences, the, you know, I think it's a, the future and futility of conferences is that you talk about everyone in the industry talking about the future because it gets you out of the now and the past. Right. Because you can't fact check the future. Right. So they all get up there and they bullshit about what the future is going to be like. And they take their checks and go home. And 10 years from now, when the future is nothing like what they said, who cares? Nobody remembers. Nobody goes back and checks. And, and um, you know, if you sit in a conference, if there are eight speakers, six or seven of them will be talking about the future because the, 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 the present is too, too incomprehensible. Nobody <laughs> yes. no, no one can figure it out. And so it's so much easier to talk about the future. Who can contradict you when you're talking about the future? And no one has the resource to go back in 10 years and say, oh, you got it wrong either. That's the problem. Yeah, nobody does. Hey, so it gets us a nice segue, Bob, into some, one of your other uh, uh, sort of potent themes, which is around adlands, the advertising industry and the marketing industries almost hate for age and older people and the obsession with millennials. Uh, let's tackle them separately. But the age conundrum is something where you 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 highlight really interestingly uh, in around Hollywood and creative is not a problem with age there. Yeah, there's no problem in, in Hollywood where if you check on who the most awarded people are, many of them, if not most of them are over 50 years old. The same with Nobel Prizes. Same with Pulitzer Prizes. In most fields, look, the important creative things to, for us are writing and design. Writers and designers, writers and artists reach their peak in their 40s, 50s, and 60s for the most part. That's when, they're, that's when they do their best work. It's not like math and science where, where the most, most of the best work is done in the 20s. In, in literature and in art, most of the best work is done by mature people. But we, in the advertising business, throw those people away. As soon as they turn 45 or 50, they're gone. They evaporate. And um, it, it, it's terribly harmful to the industry because more than half of all stuff, more than half of all consumer spending is done by people over 50. And they're not represented in ad agencies by people who understand them. The creative people have no idea when they're writing ads for people who are 55 and 60 years old, they have no idea what those people lives are like. Now, when you're 55, you know what a 28-year-old is like because you were 28 once. But when you're 28, you have no idea what a 55-year-old is like. You're, you're, you're guessing when, you, when you're trying to write for them or design for them. As a, as a result, I think the advertising industry is throwing away billions of dollars by ignoring the most valuable group of people on the planet, and that is people over 50. How, how complicit are brands in that too, though, Bob? Because there is, a, there is an economic equation here. They are way complicit in it. As a matter of fact, they are uh, probably at least as blind to this as the advertising people are. The marketing people all think they have to advertise to people 18 to 34. People 18 to 34 have zero money. 
they, they, they're, they're not buying anywhere near the levels of people over 50, but they are the default target for every brand in the world. Can it be changed? It can be changed, but it won't be. Um, I mean, I've been, I've been seeing this for, for a very long time. Uh, we, the, the advertising industry lives by legends and rituals. And uh, as, as forward-thinking as we think we are, we are stuck in the same ruts we've been in. I've seen it for, you know, I was in the agency business for 40 years. I still hear the same bullshit I heard 40 years ago from people who don't know what they're talking about, but think they know. That One of the biggest problems we have is we think we know things that we don't really know. And, and um, it's time for us to, to wake up to the real world and uh, we, we live in a bubble and um, it's just uh, it, it's just frustrating for me to see it go on and on the way it has been. Well, you're not a fan uh, in the main for these, these, high, these, these concepts around personalization and targeting, particularly in an advertising context. I do want to get your thoughts though on on this notion that you know, for a long time, as I covered the industry um, as a journalist, you would hear you know advertising can can move things and change things around for for a brand. But what we did see underlying this is, if companies can say one thing and not talk, uh, not walk the talk, if you like, then it, it it sort of falls over. So you've seen a massive surge of technology companies coming in with customer experience journey mapping and all those technology led things that are about to make this uh, our intent intended to make the customer experience better. That bit, even though it's a technology play, that bit is conceptually right, right? We, the, the advertising does the talking, but the companies need to do the walking. There is a role there for personalization and tech. There is a role for personalization and tech, but it shouldn't be driving the bus. You know, we jumped into technology like drunken sailors. We, for, for, for decades, we were criticized about not being real business people. We didn't have facts. We didn't have, we, we went on gut feel and we went on, you know, the, the, you know, I think this and you think that. And all of a sudden we got math, in, in, you know, 15 years ago we got math and we got technology and we've been dying for technology. So we have, it, it, it's like a sailor who's been at sea for two years and then he comes into port and he immediately gets completely drunk and gets uh, sexually transmitted disease, right? And that, that's like we are, we, tech came along and we just wanted all of it. We weren't, uh, we weren't discerning in what was useful and what was bullshit. Of course we want information. You have to have information to make good decisions. There's no question about that. We need that. But, but data and technology is not what's going to make advertising what it should be. Well, you've been gra- you've been grappling with the, the art and science uh, thing for a bit, right? And so I, I'm interested in this because if you if you look at other some of the sectors you've already mentioned, Bob, whether it be music or film, emotion is okay and it actually works in those sectors. When you uh, now in advertising and marketing. Emotion is not a thing that's um, acceptable or, or looked upon as or admired, if you like, even though behavioural economics will tell us we're emotional creatures and we're making emotional decisions. Talk through that scenario. It's very hard to explain to people who have been 
taught and groomed by logic that they need to put their logic aside sometimes. Uh, when you talk to business people, they are particularly in, you know, high level business people. They have been successful because they've, they're good logicians. They, they know, they know cause and effect and they apply logic to all problems. Advertising just doesn't work that way. It's not, an ad is not a court case. The brands that are most successful don't have a better court case than the brands that are that are not as successful. It's not about that, but it's very hard. You know, I've in my career I've had to stand up before boards and before financial people and before CEOs and try to explain to them why this is a good idea, even though it's not logical. And it's very hard to explain that. Uh, to those kind of people. And I understand that. They, you know, they want to know why. Why is this better than that? Well, you know, if you're a good marketer, you find someone who you trust, whose creative instincts you trust, who's worked in advertising, who has been successful, who who has a feel for what works and what doesn't work. Um, that's more important than all the logic in the world when it comes to advertising. You, it's, it's interesting because you also talk, that's the default then or the crutch has become precision marketing and data-led sort of strategies, which you, at least you can then cover your ass with, with data and uh, it's sort of, it's helpful. But so you have this notion of, you know, precision targeting and marketing versus what I think is quite cute is, 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 is probability and precision guessing. And that's what we do. That's what we do in, you know, we pretend we know a lot of things we don't really know. What we're really doing is precision guessing. And all, and as close as we can get is likelihoods and probabilities. Anyone in marketing who says yes and no, who says definitely and definitely not, who says uh, this will work and this will fail, is full of shit because they don't know. The best we could do is say, this is more likely to be successful than that. This has a higher probability of motivating someone than that does. And that's the way it works. You know, we like to pretend we know. We like to pretend we're experts, but we don't know. And understanding that, understanding that you're dealing with likelihoods and probabilities is one of the deep insights that marketing people need to need to get. I know that um, a couple of weeks ago you did you did tell the world that you were hanging up your boots um, and then about a week later you came out with a uh, fabulous uh, newsletter uh, on, on Facebook and, and the stuff that's going on there. What's your excuse? Uh, my excuse is I couldn't, it was too delicious to let it go. I mean, finally <laughs> someone's doing something about, you know, I've been ragging on Facebook for how long? Years and years. Yeah. Every now and then I just need to clear my head and not think about advertising. And so I was going to take like a month or six weeks and just cool my heels for a while. And then the Facebook thing exploded. So I had to, I had to get back into it for a while. But I promise you within the next few weeks, I'm going to do a little dropout. Well, I hope not for too long. But so look, it does get us to though this this notion where you have been, um, you know, vicious on Facebook, rightfully so in my view, because I have similar held views. It's just you articulate them far better. So thank you for doing that. Um, but there is a there is a a sense in your in, in underlying your your disposition that 
the social media and advertising on social media or social media marketing, if you like, doesn't work or it's not as effective as what uh, many claim it to be. Now, I've got, I've got two or three points of contention there I'm busting to hear from you on this is that whilst you say that, there has been a lot of startups, a lot of companies think about Dollar Shave Club as an example that, that have built their business um, and emerging businesses uh, on social media. So there's that part of I go, okay, I understand for big brands and the, and the, the responsibility they have to some broader society issues but when you're starting to get down into startups um, they have built built businesses on it equally huge numbers of small and medium-sized enterprises now it's the you know Facebook is the yellow page is what used to be the yellow pages I think you had that in the US um, so there's a big reliance and an, an efficacy there that they at least um, are still coming back for uh, and so but interestingly, what we're seeing now, Bob, is those startup companies who started on social are now moving to mass media because they, they feel like they need the, 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 the credibility and the cachet that comes with um, big, fast exposure and, and uh, aligning with some of those bigger brands. There's my little hot pot of theories, but explain to me why um, you don't feel it's good stuff, social. Okay, we need to get back to first principles and definitions. Social media was supposed to replace advertising. Social media was going to be about sharing. It was going to be about conversations. It was going to be about people enthusiastic about brands, talking with their friends. That would create other talk. Uh, people would be having conversations about brands online. And this was going to, to a substantial degree, replace advertising. That was a complete fantasy. What we what we now call social media marketing is traditional paid advertising. It is not conversations. It is not sharing of brand enthusiasms. If you go on fa Facebook, we're supposed to replace advertising. Facebook is now the largest repository of that which it was supposed to replace. It's, an it's a paid advertising machine. It is not about social media marketing. It is pay, traditional paid advertising riding on a social media platform. That's one thing. Second thing is online advertising, in my opinion, has had a very difficult time building substantial, successful, consumer-facing brands. Where are the Nikes and the Pepsi-Colas and the Coca-Colas and the Budweiser's and the McDonald's that have been built by online advertising? They just are not there. Yes, there are some mid-level brands, you mentioned a few, that have done a good job using online advertising. But for the most part, there is a big question, and that is why have there not been hugely successful brands like the ones I mentioned that have been built? We've had digital advertising now for 20 years. Where's the, where are the Cokes? When television came in, when radio came in a million years ago, within five, 10 years, there were huge brands built by those media. Where are the Cokes and Pepsis and Budweiser's and, and uh, Nikes and McDonald's and Burger Kings and, 
that that have been built by online advertising. I just don't see them. I see some, yes, some small startups and some nice middle-sized startups that when they actually achieve some scale have to go into real mass market advertising. I think Mark Ritson has written very uh, intelligently on this on this subject. Yeah. And so the SME argument though, Bob, so yes, you're right, mid-scale, but there's a lot of small businesses that they survive on social. Facebook's business is small and medium-sized businesses. That's where they're, I don't know what the number is, but I'll bet you it's 80% of their business. They talk about it being 60 to 70%, I think, Bob. Is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. It's not from the big brand. It's not Coke and Pep. They're making their money on small and medium-sized businesses. So listen, you talk about, you know, th- that big brand stuff and there's some some big questions there, you know, is is big always best anyway? So do we need more big brands? It's a, it's a, fair, it's a fair argument what you're talking about, whether we need them or not is another thing because look, look at the shit we're in now anyway. Absolutely. The flip side of that is if you are to get to uh, grow a big uh, digital brand, uh, you might need main media. But again, mainstream media it hasn't covered itself in glory either in adapting and doing things that are that are that is better uh, and to, to survive. You're right. Mainstream media is because of the coronavirus. I've had to watch more TV than I'd like to watch. The stuff is terrible. The advertising is just terrible. Uh, I, I I did a consulting project a couple of years ago with a partner of, of, of mine, and I just saw an ad that they did yesterday. I couldn't believe how terrible it was. What's missing, Bob? What is missing? Uh, creativity is missing. Uh, I, I, I don't know who they're hiring to do these spots. I, um, it, it's, uh, now there are some agencies that are doing great, they're, that are always brilliant and do great work. There are a handful like that. But for the most part, it's pitiful. I, it, it's it's so disheartening to see what's passing for advertising these days. Well, um, as we look to sort of wind up on this, uh, you also have a, a really powerful point towards the end of your book, uh, which is about Adland, Adland and advertising moving from silly to dangerous. Uh, and that's linked, I think, to what you talk about in surveillance marketing. But um, elaborate for us. You know, advertising was always a little annoying, but we've become dangerous. The tracking, you know what happened in the in the uh, 2016 election here in the U.S. The amount of information that's being collected ab- about us without our informed consent is unconscionable. And who knows? You know, we've never been in a situation. We know what happens when governments have too much information about people. We've seen what happened in, in behind the Iron Curtain, we saw what happened with Nazism. Um, when when governments know everything you're doing, everyone you're talking to, everything you're saying, there's nothing but trouble. Now we have the marketing industry knowing that. We've never had that before. This is unprecedented. We don't know where this leads, but I have a very hard time believing it leads anyplace good. And uh, th- there's way too much intrusion into our private lives by the marketing industry that is unnecessary and probably not nearly as productive as we have been led to believe it is. To wrap up, Bob, there's lots of problems. You see a lot of problems in the industry. I do too. Lots of people do. Have we got any answers or is it just a a bleak 
future that's uh, going to take us into some tick uh, black hole? There are answers. The problem is the answers will never happen. The, 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 the are very unlikely to happen. Very low probability. Probability. The, yeah. Yes. The um, you know the best thing that could happen to the agency business is that the holding companies fall apart and we go back to having an industry of entrepreneurs rather than an industry of Wall Street wise guys. And uh, that would do a lot, I think, to solve some of our problems. Another problem that needs to be solved is tracking. Um, We need to stop supporting the idea that tracking is a healthy thing for either our society or us as brands or as individuals. It, 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 has, it has to be stopped. And the third thing I would say is that we need to reinvigorate the importance of creativity in what we do. We have spent so much time and so much money on data and technology and mathematics, and we've spent so little on improving the quality of what we're doing creatively. And that means hiring really good, talented, creative people and letting them do what they're good at. So those are three things I think would um, would really improve our industry. You know, some uh, one or two are, are fairly likely. One is completely unlikely, but who the hell knows? And the one that's unlikely is creativity, do you think? No, the one that's unlikely is holding companies losing their their grip. That's the most unlikely. They're here to stay, you think? I'm afraid so. I hope I'm wrong. So let's get back to the creativity very quickly, though. There is creativity and there is creativity. Yes. And I think you talk about um, how uh, we've seen the last decade people who think that brand advertising and creativity by slapping a brand on it is is kind of brand advertising. Um, but what is what is create the sort of creativity that we need to be striving for? The, the kind of creativity we need to be striving for, I describe uh, – here's how I describe it. Good advertising appeals to us as consumers. Great advertising appeals to us as human beings. And that's what we need. We need advertising that is not just a bunch of facts, not just a bunch of um, insights about buying behavior. We need advertising that 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 makes us feel good about ourselves, the world, that's entertaining, that's beautiful, that's interesting, that's funny. We know, you know, it's hard to describe what you mean by creativity, but but we all know it when we see it. You know, we all, we all know something that, that has some kind of deep truth to it. And we can say, uh-huh, that's right. I never thought of that that way before, but that's right. So let me ask you, though, a great point about advertising for humans, right? This is sort of essentially, yeah. I think that's me um, completely butchering what you said, but it's close, <laughs> enough. It's close um, enough. But advertising for humans. Now, we have seen through this this global pandemic, a lot of brands come out and go, we're with you, we're for you, we're backing you, we've been here for a thousand years for you, and we're still here. Um, that's an attempt at human, but it doesn't land. One, it's a sea of sameness, and, and, it's, and it's trite. 
Yeah, it's bullshit. And, um, you know, everyone sees through it. But I guess that the, the, the corporations feel that they have to do it. It, it all looks and sounds and smells the same. It doesn't have any ring of truth to it. It has a ring of, oh, they're saying what everyone else is saying. I mean, th that's what I get from those ads. It, it's like they're all saying pretty much the same thing in the same way. It's all trite. I understand why, why they're doing it. They want to feel like they're being helpful and positive. But it doesn't, uh, that's that's not the kind of creativity I'm talking about. Before you go, Bob, we have to give your book a, a plug. Uh, well, actually, all your books, if you ask me, um, in, which are ranging from, include 101 Contrarian Ideas or 101 contra Contrarian Ideas about advertising. Marketers are from Mars. Consumers are from New Jersey. Love that one. Bad Men, one of my favourites. Laughing at Advertising and, of course, Advertising for Skeptics. Where do Australians go to get this, these fabulous books? Because they need to. Uh, they're all available at Amazon. And feel free to buy one for yourself and one for every one of your friends too. And clients and colleagues, by the way. Yeah, them too. What's your favourite? Oh, you can't do that. That's like asking me what who my favourite child is. I just did. I didn't expect an answer, but I tried. <laughs> I uh, Yeah. No, no, I nearly got you then. I nearly got you. Yeah, I, I you know... Honestly, maybe my last book, Skeptics, may be my favourite, but that may just be because it's the youngest and cutest. Well, it's a, it's a great conversation. I think that we do have some optimism from Bob Hoffman on creativity and a, a, a tempering or a crimping of, uh, of surveillance marketing. That's, there's some hope. I hope. Uh, but the holding companies will live on, <laughs> so there's maybe not some hope uh, for Bob, and from, from Bob. But, say, Bob Hoffman, fabulous talking to you. Um, and don't hang up your boots. Um, you can do it for a couple of weeks and then come back. We'll get Facebook to do something dastardly again. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. It's been great to talk with you and uh, good luck with what you're doing. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's moi, in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.